Well, good morning, Pursuit. Uh, Pastor Mark coming to you this morning. And um, we had kind of a technical glitch this weekend where we had some internet trouble and we lost our recordings of the service. And uh, also our backups, our redundancies didn't work either. Everything happened all in the same morning. So I believe this is the first time in the history of our church, except for, well, maybe there was one time early, early on when we had no idea what we were doing, <laughs> that we lost our entire sermon. So I'm actually going to re-record our sermon here for you in podcast form. So if uh, you missed it and you're catching up, maybe your small group is doing questions, maybe you're just uh, wanting to catch it because you were away this week or um, unable to make it because it was super duper crazy cold and maybe you were watching online and the feed was all messed up, I'm going to redo the sermon for you. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of coffee and uh, let's do this podcast style. So we are uh, starting a new sermon series in Galatians, a book of the Bible written by Paul. And Paul is a uh, apostle who wrote much of the New Testament. Most of the letters that are entitled like Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians. I know some people, when they look at the Bible, are kind of like, what is a Philippian? What is a Colossian? I don't understand what I'm looking at. Um, Galatians, uh, so all of those were letters Paul wrote to cities, the church in those cities. So the church in Colossae, the church in Philippi, the church in Ephesus. He wrote a, wrote a letter to the people who were there in those cities uh, running those churches and dealing with their local issues, the things that were, um, for them, that were issues that he needed to deal with or things he needed to teach them or things that he needed to deal with with them. The difference between those, some of those, and Galatians is that Galatians actually was a letter written to a region. Now, this was Paul's first missionary journey to the area of Galatia, and there were a few churches that he planted during that time uh, off off my dome here. This is It's Wednesday that I'm recording this, so um, I've already put away last week's sermon in my head, and I'm trying to remember, but Antioch, uh, Iconia, uh, Lystra, I, th- I think there might be one I'm missing, but there's a couple in there. It's in modern-day Turkey, southern modern-day Turkey, and so he's writing this letter to these churches that he planted, and uh, we use that language a lot, by the way, at uh, Pursuit, the, the language of planting. We believe in church planting. The same thing that Paul did, we believe in going to an area you feel called to, uh, creating a congregation there, trying to serve that area, and then reaching out to a new place, setting up a new congregation. Each one of these congregations looks different depending on who you're trying to reach as a church. And so we're excited because, you know, we're going to continue to plant other churches through the ministry that we have here at Pursuit. We're actually financially ready right now to go plant a church but we're actively looking for and communicating with different church planters that we think would be really great, and we're trying to uh, discern what God has for us in the next year or two to begin to plant our own church somewhere, probably in the metro area, uh, with a new church planter. So you can look forward to that. But this is what Paul did. He would go into a usually a significant cultural city. You know, Corinth is a good example of that. Ephesus is a good example of that. Um, Antioch, in this case, would be a good example of that. And then he would establish the church in a place where culture flowed out and then the culture would be taken on the, or the, the church would be taken to the trade routes that come, came to that city. So a lot of times it was a port city that would connect, 
you know, the, the other areas to uh, the inland trade routes, and uh, he would plant churches along, the, along those routes. Um, and that's the truth uh, here in Galatia. He's planted four or five churches. They're all connected to Antioch um, in southern Turkey. And so Paul's writing this letter to the Galatians. It's one of his first letters that he writes, uh, probably eighty fifty or eighty sixty. Um, so it's it's a pretty early Paul letter, which is kind of cool to watch because Paul gets better as he writes, and uh, gives me hope as a pastor that I'll continue to get <laughs> better as I. If you don't like the sermon, well, uh, maybe in two years you will. <laughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> so. He's writing to this church, and their problem, one of their biggest problems is is actually the issue of how Jewish do you need to become to become Christian? And it's an issue we don't really deal with a lot today because these issues were dealt with, they were handled, they were worked out in real time during that time. If you, if you actually follow along in Acts where this is all taking place, Paul has uh, you know gone from being Saul, who was the church persecutor, to Paul, who was the, the uh, first missionary. He's... Basically, uh, this is all happening in Acts, like between chapters 10 and 15. And um, and in chapter 15, they actually get together to solve the problem of how Jewish do you need to become to be a Christian? All the major leaders of the day get together and start talking about, do you need to follow f- the food laws, you know, the, the purity customs, the, you know, like they had all kinds of rules, hundreds of rules in Jesus' day when he started the church. Um, that the Pharisees would hold the people of Israel to. And these rules were made to make Israel stand out in the world, to separate Israel from the rest of the culture. But they were becoming a real problem for anyone who was not Jewish to follow Jesus. So the word that the Bible uses is Gentile. So anyone who's a Gentile, essentially everyone probably who's listening to this, I don't know if we have any uh, full Jewish people who are ethnically and culturally and religiously Jewish listening. But if we do, you're probably the only Jew, you know, listening to this podcast and the rest of us are Gentiles. Um, And what was happening in in the early church, excuse me, geez, um, was that people were coming to Jesus and the church was saying, great, we want you to come to Jesus, but also we need you to become Jewish. So we got to have you eat this way and do this thing. And, you know, it means circumcision later in life for a man, um, it means, you know, uh, a lot of rules around menstruation for women. It means can't have shellfish. Maybe you grew up eating lobster. You can't have that anymore. You know, it means, uh, the way you dress, the way that you, um, the purity, you know, around all the, the hand washing. Like there's a lot of rules and guidelines in there that would have been hard for a non-Jewish person to follow. And that's the tension here is, whether or not the gospel applies to the average person if they don't follow any of the uh, Jewish customs that came along with uh, the church. And the the church was begun by all Jewish believers and then was called to go out and, and reach Gentile believers. And so they're still having this tension. And Paul is solving this tension. Essentially, there were people who were coming in behind Paul as he would plan a church, get things going. There were people coming in behind Paul and they were saying, yeah, we believe in Jesus. We believe in the <clears throat> we believe in the uh, the gospel, but also there's a couple of more things that you need to do to be one of us. And so that's really what Paul is talking about. And in this uh, letter, Paul is yes, he is encouraging the church, but 
he's uh, he's doing it in a way that is a very very strong rebuke and a challenge that you know to them think of like a really tough football coach or a really demanding uh, teacher or you know maybe like a parent who's really difficult really tough sometimes has really high expectations for you that's kind of the the um, the way this this letter is written uh, and so Paul is is challenging them and trying to correct them. This is very early on. Now, one of the other side things is that Paul doesn't really have a lot of authority yet because he's still known as the guy who used to persecute the church. He hasn't been brought into the circles of leadership yet within the church in a significant way, and so people are still even questioning his authority as he talks about the gospel and challenges people. And so a lot of the first two chapters, Paul is defending his authority. He's explaining that hey, I am the guy who was called to preach to you, and I am telling you the truth, and this is right, and you should follow it. Uh, which he doesn't spend a lot of time doing in other letters. Um, it shows you Galatians was one of the first ones written. And there were still people who used that against him. So they would come in after him and say, you can't really trust Paul. He killed Christians. He's tricking you. What he's saying isn't true. Yes, the gospel. Yes, Jesus. But also these other things. And so that's kind of the backdrop so I'm actually going to start here in Galatians verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And if you have a Bible, I recommend following along. If you're driving or something, I will read it to you. But um, nice to always be able to put your finger in the Bible and read it off of the page. It says, Paul, an apostle, right? Again, establishing authority. Sent not from man, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the church in Galatia. He says, I was, I'm, a, I'm an apostle, I was sent by, by Jesus himself, um, and I've, I'm writing this letter to you guys. The church is in Galatia. You know, I, I was listening to one podcast, or one uh, sermon, and the guy was like, it's the first multi-site. <laughs> not, not exactly. These were all individual churches in different cities, uh, responding to their local culture, and uh, that's what we do. That's what we believe in. So, verse 3, grace and peace to you. From God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of the Father, of God and Father, to whom the be glory forever and ever. Amen. Pretty standard Paul intro. If we were going to get uh, deep into, <coughs> excuse me, man, I got a dry cough today. Um, we're going to get deep into Pauline intro theology <laughs> I realize there's probably one of you out there that cares about that. Um, Paul always starts his letters this way. Uh, this is a pretty general standard greeting for him. But it's also what's what's missing is going to be pretty um, straightforward here in a minute. So Paul usually starts this way, and then he goes on to a section of Scripture that would be like thanking God for the church in an area. So like he, he'll be like, you know, the Ephesians, like, hey— I remember you guys with prayers and tears, and I'm so thankful for you. Or I think it's Philippians, or maybe it's Corinthians. Like, I thank God every time I remember you, and I pray for you, and I'm encouraged by you. Um, those churches had just as many problems, by the way. Um, in all of those books, he's rebuking people, he's challenging people. I mean, in Corinthians especially, they had people getting drunk on communion. They had uh, some sort of some sort of son who was sleeping with his mother-in-law, and it was sort of celebrated as a tolerance in the church that they had received and accepted him. Um, it would, they had uh, unity issues. There was, I mean, all kinds of problems. And yet, in the beginning, Paul's saying, uh, hey, thank God for you, love you, this is amazing, you know, 
and then he starts, you know, really challenging them. In this one, he he doesn't do that. So he doesn't do the I'm thankful for you. He actually goes straight from the standard intro of like, you know, like all glory be to Jesus and this is what it's all about to uh to verse 6. I am astonished that you are quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. His essentially first line of the letter that is not just the standard intro is him being flabbergasted, astonished, uh, just blown away by what's going on in the church. You know, and this is kind of like the word here is just like you came upon something and you like literally can't believe it. It's like if you have a toddler and you walk in on them just throwing the, you know, the uh, flower in the air and it's all over the kitchen or there's paint on the wall or somebody colored on the door or, you know, and you walk in and you're like, I cannot believe what I'm looking at here. This is unbelievable. I don't even know where to begin to clean up this mess that you've made. I'm astonished. I'm amazed. I'm flabbergasted. I'm overwhelmed by what I'm looking at. And that's the language that Paul uses. He's actually showing quite a bit of anger in this. You could read this and not pick up on the fact that Paul skips over the I'm thankful for you and goes right to the I cannot believe what you've done. His intensity shows that he is angry, frustrated, um, that he can't stand for what's going on in the church right now, that it's a huge, huge problem and a big deal. And he says, what is the problem that he's talking about? He says, you've deserted the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Paul actually essentially here says, if you add anything to the gospel, which is what was going on here, they were saying, hey, you know, we yes, Jesus, yes, the gospel, but also here's a list of things that you need to make sure that you do so that you can become more Jewish as well. The entry like was higher than receive the grace of Christ. It was receive the grace of Christ and do these other religious things. You know, probably had something to do with the Sabbath, something to do with the way you ate, something to do with you being circumcised, something to do with you following menstruation laws, something to do with the way you dressed, the way you, you know, uh, all of these little details, all these things were part of the entry into the church and into faith. And Paul says, not not that that's like a, even a um, a twisting of the gospel. He says that is no gospel at all. He says, if you add anything to the very simple message of the gospel, you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. It's sort of like the, um, I don't know, growing up in youth group, this was always an illustration used by my youth pastor. He'd be like, well, if I mixed a little bit of poop into these brownies, would you still want to eat the brownies? And you're like, no, I don't don't want to. But it's just a little bit. Maybe you wouldn't even taste it. It would just it ruins the whole batch. Yeah, I don't want poop in my brownies. Uh, Paul's saying, add anything, and it's nothing. So the gospel plus anything is nothing. The gospel, simple in its original form, with nothing added to it, is everything. Gospel plus nothing is everything. Gospel plus anything is nothing. Okay, and so that's what Paul is kind of getting at. And he just comes out guns blazing, angry, fired up, and he's like, uh, you guys have missed this. This is really screwed up, and I'm challenging you. <clears throat> Verse 7. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert 
the gospel of Christ. And again, this does not read the way that it is written in the original language. Um, if you were reading this the way it was originally written, it would the words would be like completely more intense. So evidently some people are throwing you into confusion can translate to something like, evidently some people are destroying you, crushing you, defeating you by uh, perverting or twisting or destroying the gospel. And the language is so intense, it doesn't read well in English. You know, we're like, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion, trying to pervert the... No, Paul pretty much said, you are being destroyed by a perverted, twisted form of the gospel, which is, again, as intense as he possibly could say this. What's the big deal? Um, You know, it's that... Things have been added, and now the gospel is being slowly lost, or maybe even completely lost, as he says in the first verse. And these guys, obviously, who had come in behind him in each one of these churches and preached a different gospel after he had left, and left the church in the hands of the people that he you know, had built up over time and, and handed the church off to, their message, and by the way, it doesn't seem like he knows them, because he doesn't call them out by name. In other um, letters, he calls people out by name. He's like, hey, that guy... You know, hey, you know how Joe came and and talked to you guys and and went against my gospel? You need to reject that guy and boot him out of the church. Like, he obviously doesn't know these people very well. But one of the things that scholars say about these people is that they were older, wiser uh, believers. That they were older, wiser, respected in the Jewish community, and then became believers. And so they were trying to honor the traditions that they had sort of grown up with. And it's a fine line when we're talking about stuff like this, because I I do believe generationally, we should be looking to people who are older and wiser than us to learn and to say, what what do you have to offer us? Um, How can we learn from you? How can we not make some of the same mistakes you made? How can we, you know, uh, make sure that we uh, succeed in some of the ways you succeeded? But there also can be times where an older, wiser, air quotes, a uh, group of people is actually just holding back the church from accomplishing the mission in its time and day and age. So what would have been, a, you know, the mission being accomplished in their time and day and age was allowed to to happen. But now accomplishing the mission in the newest time and day and age is now all of a sudden evil. Um, and I think we have to be really careful. There's a fine line to walk there between respecting and honoring the people that have gone before and have a lot of wisdom to offer, and also saying, hey, your objection is not valid because we're reaching people in 2021, not in 1960. And you want to be careful in how you talk about that because you want to honor the people who have fought a great fight and who have, you know, are still in the trenches of the mission of the church on a daily basis. But you also need to kind of help them understand that sometimes you can think that your version of uh, reaching the world is the only way to do it. And we are very strong on this. We'll continue to do whatever we can to reach people, but we will make sure that the core tenets of the gospel are unchanged. And I think that's generally what we're talking about here. If you're talking about the the trimmings, the the wrappings of the way the church operates and how we reach people and the methods we use and the strategies we use, like those can all change every, every day, every year. 
it seems like those are changing on a yearly basis now, not on a generational basis. And we'll continue to change right alongside that. We'll continue to use every method we can to reach people. The message will never change. The kingdom is still the same kingdom. Jesus is the same God that we worship. Um, so we have to be careful and separate these. But what these guys are doing is they're coming in behind Paul's theology, his belief in God and the gospel, and they're changing the core tenets. So we have to be careful when that's the that's the thing. So he says, some people are destroying you with a perverted version of the gospel. And I, he's like, I can't stand for this. Um, you know, and so you're like, okay, so what's the gospel? I have a sip of coffee here, so I don't keep coughing on you. Um, the gospel is a very simple belief. Uh, it doesn't need anything else attached to it. It is the core of everything that it means to follow God. It is the sort of the first step or the passing over the threshold of faith, which is why it's so important to hold this line to make sure that this is core to what we are doing. And so it's important to talk about what it means. And I know, like, you know, you're like, well, where is the gospel in Scripture? It's all over the place. Um, you can go to Ephesians 2. You can go into Philippians, I believe, chapter 2. You can uh, listen to what Jesus says when he's talking about being born again. Um, you can, you know, all of Romans, Romans has like a pretty strong gospel basis, which, you know, was Paul's, like sort of his, his best work. Romans is like his master work. And, uh, what's interesting about Galatians is a lot of the same content in Galatians that's in Romans, except Romans fits it into like five times as many chapters. Um, so what is the gospel? Well, I want to go to first Corinthians chapter 15 to, talk about the gospel for a second. And I want to make sure that we are clear on what we're talking about when we say the gospel, because that word gets thrown around quite a bit. And I think in some ways it gets thrown around in a religious context as if everyone knows what it means. And I don't want to take that for granted. You know, people listening to this podcast could be all over the spectrum of faith. And so let me talk to you about it. First Corinthians 15 verse one. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians, the people of Corinth. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. So he starts, you know, I want to remind you of the gospel. He says, I preached it to you, and you received it, and you have taken a stand on it. Now, what's clear about the gospel is it's something that has to be preached. It's not something, you know, it's my least favorite argument when people are like, I'm just going to live a, a godly life in front of this person, and they're going to somehow by osmosis pick up the gospel of Jesus. No. Live the life if, you, if you're able to, obviously. Live in peace and submission and, and live a quiet life that draws people into a relationship with Jesus. But the gospel is meant to be preached. It's meant to be told. It's meant to be communicated. And there is always a time in a relationship where it's time to talk about it and communicate it to somebody and explain it to them and challenge them to receive it. It's preached. It's not something that we do, we catch by osmosis. It's something that we preach to people and then it says they receive it or they don't receive it. There's an active decision for them to receive it or not to receive it. You know, and you don't want to be pushy or, you know, sort of like a, you know, uh, an old-timey 
preacher, you know, trying to make it an emotional decision. But when someone's ready to to turn over their own will to God and to allow Jesus into their life, to allow him to be in control of them, control of their life, their decisions, their will, then that's a moment that doesn't necessarily need to come from a moment of emotion. It doesn't need to come from a moment of pressure or coercion or control. It's when someone's ready to receive, then it's an act of decision to receive. And that's it. It's preached, it's received. And then he says, it's somewhere where you can take your stand. It's a place where you have taken your stand. He says, you received it and on which you have taken your stand. And Christians, hear me. There's a lot of things right now that we like to take our stand on, that we want to make primary in our life. We want to make sure that everybody knows that we're against this thing or that thing or for this thing or that thing, or we want to go to the Capitol and pick it on this thing or that thing, or we want to do this. And I'm not, I'm not telling you that stuff is, is wrong or, or bad uh, because a lot of those things are very important. I don't want to make light of some of those things that are very important. But, man, it would be great if Christians would actually start taking their stand on the gospel. It's a place where you can stand, should stand. It's worth the fight. It's worth the struggle. It's worth you making sure that people understand where you stand on this issue. At the end of the day, you believe that all of us need Christ and we need to receive his gospel, no matter how good or bad we think we are, that it's a level playing field at the foot of the cross and we receive the gospel and we walk in it. We challenge other people to it. So I just, it's one of those things that drive me the most nuts in culture today is how many things we think we need to take a stand on. In reality, I think sometimes God is telling you, yeah, maybe don't take a stand on that really insignificant thing that's not going to matter next year. Why don't you take a stand on something eternal that is really important, that doesn't change how important it is? And why don't you make sure that the people in your life that you care about the most know where you stand on the gospel? That's a revolutionary concept, I think, uh, for a lot of people. Um, and he goes on to verse 2. Uh, this is Paul talking about the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. But by this gospel, you are saved. He says, this is the way that we come into relationship with God. He says, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. There's a fine line here between <clears throat> the gospel and the gospel plus something. And I think a lot of people, this is going to sound harsh, but this is really a conviction as a pastor of something that I really do believe. I think there's a lot of people who believe the gospel plus something is what has saved them. And it's a real problem. Uh, you know, I think they're saying essentially, yes, Jesus, yes, the gospel, but also uh, I do these good things and I, I have to make sure that I do these good things. Or I have to get myself together before I come to church. I had a conversation with a non-believer this week where I shared the gospel with him. And uh, he's like, I'm just not quite ready to surrender my will to Christ. And I think he's close and I'm going to continue the conversation with him. But he's like, and, you know, I, I don't know if I really trust the church and I don't really know if I'm, I'm ready to jump into this thing. Um, well, at least that's an honest place to be. But we had to talk for, you know, almost 30 minutes to unwind all the garbage that goes along with the gospel in the modern American church and in the uh, traditions that he grew up in. Because I think a lot of those places were basically saying, hey, make sure you do this stuff before you come and become part of our church. Make sure that you jump through these 10 hoops, get this thing settled, get this thing figured out, and then we'll receive you in there. And that is the gospel plus something. If you think that your works or the things, you know, things, the good things that you do, and again, I'm putting that in air quotes, is what will save you, then good luck. But that's not the gospel. That's not what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. 
That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying this is the thing that saves you. You hold firmly to this word that was preached to you. Otherwise, it's in vain. All this religious activity becomes vanity. You get the the benefit from it by the way that you look to the world around you. You don't get the benefit of knowing God and being in relationship with him based on how good of a person you are, how many good works you do. And the gospel, if you think of it like a road, right in the middle of the road is the simplicity of this message that we all need a Savior. We come to the Savior with nothing except for our need, that he does the work for us. He dies on a cross for our forgiveness. He creates that relationship uh, with us. He does all the work for us, and that we only receive it. Okay, that's the center of the road. But off to the right of the road, as people grow in their faith, they think like, oh, I can move on from the gospel here, and I can you know, go to the deeper things of, of God, which it's amazing to me when you think that the gospel won't be something you'll continue to grow in and it will continue to stay deep to you your entire life. Uh, and applying it is unbelievably difficult and uncomfortable. Uh, but off to the right is a group of people who have anxiety because they in some way believe their works are what save them and they wonder if they have done enough. At the end of the day, have I been you know, done enough things to good things to make up for the bad things. And on the left in the, in the ditch are people who have pride, uh, who are judging other people and saying, well, that person's not good enough or what they're doing isn't right or what they're doing isn't, you know, going to make like, and so there's these two ditches that are off of the road of what the gospel is. One is anxiety. One leads to pride. Neither of these things are saving you because your faith is really in what you're able to do. And a lot of us grew up in this tradition, man. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. A lot of churches, a lot of religious systems are, hey, do great stuff, get your life together, come become one of us, and then start to work on being a good person. And that is not what Paul's talking about. He says that is no gospel at all. All right, so 1 Corinthians verse 3, he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Holy Scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day uh, according to those Scriptures, and that he appeared. And it says he appeared to first uh, a few, and then to 500, and then lastly to me is what he essentially says there. And it seems simple, but I'm telling you that the application of this is a lifelong pursuit, and it is deep. This is what we're called to as Christians, to continue to apply the gospel throughout our lives to every situation that we come into. And even these original uh, disciples, apostles who knew Jesus, who were with Jesus, who understood the gospel as well as anyone, had a hard time applying it. It made them uncomfortable. There's actually a part later on in Galatians where it talks about if you're not uncomfortable applying the gospel in your life and to other people, the, you know, the lavish kind of grace that gets applied to people, if you're not uncomfortable doing it, you're probably not doing it right, is how Paul talks about it. It should make you uncomfortable when you apply it to all kinds of different people. And he says, this is the thing, that the gospel is of first importance. It's the primary thing. It's the most important thing. And it's the thing we have to agree on. You know, as a church, there's a lot of things we don't have to agree on. We don't have to agree on end times theology. <laughs> like, you know, we don't have to agree on that. We could disagree on that, and it won't necessarily change the way that we live for Christ. It won't change the way that we understand the gospel. We could 
we could talk through what our thoughts or beliefs are on how uh, women in leadership uh, interact in the church. And there's going to be a wide breadth of people and how they deal with things, whether we can call women pastors, whether we can allow women to be on, on uh, leadership teams. I mean, this is a hotly contested issue. By the way, letting our cards be out on the table, we're all for those things. We believe that women are called to lead just like men. They're giving gifts just like men. Um, we don't really see a really big problem here. But we could disagree on those things, and it would be okay. It's a secondary issue, right? We could disagree on how old the earth is. You might read uh, the Old Testament. You might read that book of poetry in the beginning of the book, in the beginning of the Bible as a science textbook, and you might count backwards and say the earth is 7,622 years old. And uh, you might just say, I don't care about what science says. I care. And there might be somebody else who says, no, I think the earth is billions of years old. And here's how I interpret it. Either way, we don't have to agree on that. It's a secondary issue. What we, what we probably do need to agree on there is that God created all that. And he had a plan and a purpose. And he made us to have a significant role. That's probably the part we have to agree on. And so there's, there's primary issues and there's secondary issues. And I, I want to stop and tell you, if your life, <laughs> if your primary importance, the thing that you give the most amount of importance when it comes to the things of God, the theology of Jesus is a secondary issue, that's the greatest way to waste your life and your fruit uh, for the gospel. You want to make no difference in the world, make a secondary issue your primary issue. Try to argue everyone down to your position and see how much fruit that that actually creates for the kingdom of God. Paul's saying, go back. The first and most important thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ applied first to you as you receive the grace of Christ without anything else attached to it, and then how you apply this gospel to all kinds of other messy situations in your life. That's the... primary thing, the thing of first importance. And we cannot make secondary issues our primary thing. That is a way to waste your time and create no fruit for the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't mean that some people aren't doing great things, writing books about that stuff or in a scholarly place, but man, I have just seen so many times that people get so caught up on things that aren't the most important thing. And what are they not doing? They're not making a difference in the lives of anybody with the gospel. So it's of primary, of first importance. So receiving the gospel of Jesus leads to justification, which leads to sanctification. There would be a slide that would show that to you, and I'm just going to uh, give you an understanding of what these words mean, because they're going to get used for the next couple of weeks. So receiving the gospel of Christ, something you receive, it's something that is applied to everyone exactly the same way, that's offered to everyone exactly the same way, leads to justification. And that's a word that literally just means right standing with God. At the end of the day, what do you believe gives you right standing with God? Do you believe that it's the works that you've done, the things that you've done in the world that are good? Or do you believe it's some sort of other legacy piece that, you know, you're, the way that you've led your family, the, you know, what is it in your mind that leads to justification? Well, for Paul, what leads to right standing with God, not being condemned for your sin in God's eyes, is receiving the gift that Jesus has offered to you through his death on a cross, which is offered to you with no strings attached. That is a gift that you receive, that your right standing with God comes from that gospel. And this leads to sanctification. Sanctification is just a fancy word. It's essentially the process of us becoming more like Jesus as we become believers. So hopefully when we become a believer, 
and we receive the gospel, we start to live differently and allow God to move us, change us, control us, and we surrender our will. I was having the same conversation with this guy I was sharing the gospel with, and I said to him, the first day you receive Jesus is a surrender of your will to Christ, but what you'll find out is that every day of your life you'll continue to surrender that will and the will in many other areas of your life to Jesus. I think a lot of us are sort of sanctified. We've received Christ, but there are still many things we are not willing to surrender our will to to God on. You know, I think a lot of times uh, people, the things that they won't surrender are their pleasures, are their um, their money. The last thing that they want to surrender is they're, they're like, Jesus, I trust you with my eternity, with my heart, with my life, but please stay out of my pocketbook. Or they go, Jesus, you can be in charge of uh, my my eternity, the eternity of my children and my my family and the people that I love, but please uh, don't take this uh, this glass out of my hand, or please don't call me to, um, you know, not gorge myself when I eat. Like there are plenty of places in our lives where we're not willing to <laughs> to surrender our will to Christ, and the process of sanctification is that continual surrender where we become more like Jesus. The problem what you have is that the Galatian church was saying, hey, there's a process of sanctification for you, and then you can be justified. They were saying, hey, jump through these hoops, become more religious, become more like us, and then you can get to a place where you will be justified in God's eyes. And that was backwards. That is the issue that Paul is fighting against. That is not something you should make the most important thing. It should be an outflow of justification. Sanctification should be an outflow of justification after you've received that grace uh, from Jesus. All right, so we're going to go back to Galatians verse uh, chapter 1, verse 8. But even if we or an angel or heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. He goes on, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. He says, it doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter if it's an angel, doesn't matter if it's me, Paul, doesn't matter if Peter shows up or James shows up, doesn't matter who it is, we should not if if anyone preaches a different gospel, you need to reject them. And it doesn't matter if it's a celebrity pastor, doesn't matter how tight their jeans are, how cool their, you know, jean jacket is. You reject them if they preach a different gospel. If I preach you a gospel that's not pure and straight from scripture, then you should reject me. The person doesn't matter. The The message is the most important thing, is what Paul's saying. You know, and we would be smart to think about this in a culture of celebrity pastors. Um, you know, it's the message that's the most important. It's not the person, okay? So Paul says, even if an angel showed up, which would be really cool, if an angel showed up to preach at Pursuit, I'd be like, sweet. But if they started preaching a different gospel, I'd be like, Go. Galatians 1 verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. It did not. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And this is a really important, important thing. I don't know how many of you have watched kids' cartoons or watched them regularly, the modern ones. Um, I have young kids, so I've you know, found myself from time to time watching some of this absolute garbage, trash, disgusting, horrible things that they watch. 
They're like morality tales. And trust me, it ain't your morality. Um, and one of the, like, <laughs> if it's not about bullying or like tolerance, which by the way, tolerance is a super low bar as Christians, we're called to love, not to tolerate people. Tolerance is a, is a way of saying, I will put up with you. And love is a way of saying, I will fully embrace and serve you. I'm off my, my soapbox when it comes to this, but one of the core things that you see in kids' movies, kids' cartoons and, and all this stuff is, you know, this journey of the hero where you actually find what you were looking for was inside of you all along. Look inside to find the truth of who you are. And this journey has just been about you believing in yourself and finding the answers of life within you. And I'm like, it's, it's, it's garbage. <laughs> it's not, not true at all. Paul's saying uh, that message that you're receiving, the gospel, this was not of human origin. It did not come down. It didn't come from within you. And he says, I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I even taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. We see this in the picture of Peter where he uh, receives Christ. Peter, I love Peter. He was he was a, a total uh, hothead sometimes and a, an idiot other times and, you know, was just all over the map. And I always think, like, um, I, I, I relate to Peter. I would say stupid stuff, do stupid stuff, because that's just who I am sometimes, right? And, you know, uh, Jesus, one of the first confessions of who Christ was, was out of Peter's mouth. He he stopped his disciples on the side of the road. They were taking a hike, and he basically pulled them aside and said, hey, tell me who people say that I am. And their answers were, you know, this is what culture says about you, Jesus. We could probably have those same conversations now. Here's what culture says about who Jesus is, Right. But then Peter looked at him and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it kind of rolled out of him super fast. And most of the time when things came out of Peter, they were wrong. And Jesus was like, you nailed it. I imagine the other disciples were like high five. I'm high five. And I'm like, great job, Peter. You did a great job. That's exactly right. You, you, you got it. You nailed it. <coughs> Jesus is the, the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, uh, you know, Peter's like, I did something right. Well, just hang on. Keep reading the story because like a minute later, Jesus is rebuking him, telling him to get behind him that he's Satan. Um, but what does Jesus say when he responds to him? He says, this truth was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. It was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. The gospel is something that comes from outside of us, not from within us. The truth that comes from within us is a truth that we should question. The truth that comes from within us is uh, is often you know, something built from our experiences, from the pain and the hurt that we've dealt with in this life. It's often something that is self-serving or selfish. We should question the truth that comes from within us. It's not that we won't stumble upon things, but those truest things are from God. They're revealed to us by Jesus. They're revealed to us by other believers. They're revealed to us in God's word and in his creation. Those things are revealed to us in ways that don't really come from us looking within for the answer. You know, as that that hero goes on the journey to find the answers and he finds it from within himself, that's not this that's not where the gospel comes from. And so don't look within. Surrender to the truth revealed already in the person of Jesus, the the story and the and the life of Jesus in the word of God throughout the entire thing, in the people of God that share it with you of which I hope I am one of those people, but also people in your small group and brothers and sisters that you respect and, and believe are have your best interests in mind. Look at God's creation. He's revealing himself to you all over the place. 
All right, so we're going to finish this chapter here. 13, we're going to move quick. Have you heard? For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church and tried to destroy it. Paul is like saying, hey, I know this is the elephant in the room. You guys are talking about it. Yeah, I used to be that guy who killed Christians, who tricked them into outing themselves and then killed them. I was a religious terrorist. There's really no other way to put it. That's exactly what Paul was doing. He was killing people in the name of God. That is one of the most despicable things you could do. And to be honest, if a religious terrorist fell on his knees and gave his life to Christ in our own church, we would have a hard time believing that the grace applied to that person was real. It's just it's just the nature of of that sort of religious terrorism. That's how bad it is for us as humans to think about. Verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond my own age. Among my people was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He's like, I was the Jew of all Jews. I followed every law. I did everything. I was as zealous as anyone. I took it as serious as anyone. I was the most, you know, most Jewish, McJew, Jewy, Jewish, Jewish person. I was the most Jewish person there was. Everybody else looked at me and said, that guy's the guy. He's the standard. He's the one who does it the best. And if the law could have saved him, he'd have been saved in that way. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia later. I returned to Damascus. Paul Simmons, 14 years kind of out in the wilderness, just sort of sharing the gospel and he doesn't go and receive it from Peter or Paul or James. He doesn't get an official version of it. He gets the one Jesus reveals to him. And uh, and his testimony is incredible. It's an incredible testimony. I, I don't know if you, you quite understand the power of your story, but like in Revelation, when it talks about defeating Satan in the final battle, it says that Satan was overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power of their testimonies. That our testimonies are things, you know, the, the story of how God has changed our lives is how we came upon the idea that he loved us and was drawing us into relationship with him. You know, Paul says there wasn't a moment missed in my life where I don't now look back and see that God was drawing me into relationship with Jesus. Throughout all of my religious terrorism, throughout all of my zealousness as a, uh, as a you know, God-fearing Jew, there wasn't a moment where God wasn't drawing me into relationship with him. And if you think you've been through some difficult things in your life, what I want you to know is that those things can be redeemed. And you can see, go back and see Jesus in those moments where you didn't know he was there to begin with. That's what Paul is saying. He's like, I was like this. Then I met Jesus. Now here is who I am. And turns out Jesus was after me the whole time. And he can change your life the same way he changes mine. So don't don't hate on your, your testimony, right? If you're like, well... You know, I accepted Jesus when I was five and I have a boring testimony. Really? Has God changed anything in your life over the past couple months, past couple years, past couple weeks, past couple days? Just share that. Here's what here's what Jesus is doing in my life right now, what he's teaching me right now, what he's doing, you know, how he's working on me in this area and changing how I think in this area and transforming how I, the things I believe in this area and, you know, teaching me how to worship him or pray to him or whatever. Tell, tell a current testimony if that's what it takes. Stop making the excuse that your testimony isn't something that's valuable. It is. It's powerful to hear people talk about how God has changed their life, how Jesus has come into their life. And when we say we don't have a powerful testimony, we're essentially taking one of the best tools out of our hands to reach other people. No one's going to argue with your own personal experience. When you say, here's what my life was like, and then I met Jesus, and he overwhelmed me with his grace— 
you know, his gospel just rammed into my heart and knocked some things loose. And now this is what my life looks like. Uh, that's a powerful thing. No one's going to argue with you. No, he didn't. No, that's not what happened. I Googled it and somebody on the internet said this. No, you know, we don't need to worry about defending the entire breadth of the Bible and theology. We need to worry about telling our own story of transformation. And the reason why people don't want to talk about their testimony or think it's not powerful is because they're not letting the Holy Spirit transform them on a daily basis. That's the challenge to you, is to lean into the Holy Spirit and let God change you from the inside out so you have a story to tell. That might be the place to look at if you think your testimony is not valuable. Verse 19, I saw none of the other disciple or the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They had only heard the report that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. He says, when I finally came in out of that wilderness, people had only heard about me. They didn't know who I was. They didn't know what I was talking about or what my message was. And they praised God when they found out the story. He says, I was the worst. I was the furthest away. I was so far away. I didn't qualify. And I want you to know that's where you are. That's where you began this journey. If you're now a Christian, it's where you stand right now if you haven't received the gospel. So that you are the furthest away you could be. And that there is still hope for you. If there is hope for a religiously zealot terrorist, the person who was persecuting and killing Christians, if there was hope for that person, then there is also hope for the wayward son or daughter that you pray for. There's also hope for the husband or wife that you are asking God to change their heart and to come into their life. There is also hope for, you know, the, the person in your workplace, the person in your neighborhood. There is hope for anyone, no matter where they are, no matter how far they are, there's hope for them. And that's where we, we end things today. We ended it at the end of chapter one. And so I just want to go back and I want to say, if you have not taken the step over the threshold of faith to receive the gospel, what are you waiting for? What is, what are you trying to get together before you accept Jesus? And I also want to talk to you, maybe you've grown up in the church your entire life, but honestly, your version of the gospel is how good of a person I can be. And when you really deep down think about it at the end of the day, it's not an you know, grace slammed into my life and changed everything about who I am. It's, I've just always tried to be a good boy or girl so I could please God. The gospel says that part of it doesn't matter. You can't please or displease God. He loves you already. No matter what you do, he doesn't stop loving you or change the way that he loves you. He knew you were lost. He knew you needed a savior. He did the work for you. It has nothing to do with your own you know, uh, works, your own good things that you've done. He basically said you were a sinner in need of a savior. And so he sent his son into this world to die on a cross so that you could find new life in Jesus. So the question is why, why would you not receive that today for the first time or for the hundredth time? You know, being a Christian is surrendering your will in some area of your life every single day. So I want to finish just by praying for us. And if you're somebody who's never received Christ, then I want you to pray with me and I want you to receive Jesus. And then I want you to call me or text me or email me and let me know about it. If you're someone who, you know, has received Christ, but you're just in kind of a rut, 
then maybe it's time to surrender a specific part of your will today to Jesus that you haven't really dealt with or wanted to deal with, that you know you need to change and get right, and you need the Holy Spirit to do it in your life. And, uh, and I'd love to help you with that too. So let me pray for us, and just pray with me. I don't care if you're in the car, so what, you look crazy. Just go ahead and pray with me. You know, don't, don't close your eyes if you're driving, but, you know, otherwise, let's, let's pray. Jesus, I surrender my will to you. Your gospel, the simplicity of your gospel is all I need. God, apply it again to my life today, whether it's the first time or the thousandth. Jesus, continue to work on me, bend my will, change who I am so that I can follow you in a more significant way every day. Help me to be sanctified, changed, because of my relationship with you. Not to earn your love, thank you that you did all this work. You made a way. And you've drawn us into relationship with you from day one. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, that's the end of chapter one. If you want to talk, share something, something gets knocked loose in you, you can always email me, mark, at pursuecommunity.church. Or, uh, yeah, that's probably the best way. <laughs> but um, love to hear from you. Love to hear what God's doing in your life. And if you made it to this point in the podcast, you get a gold star. So, you know, let me know and I'll, I'll get that shipped out to you or something. Anyways, we will see you next week in church live if you're comfortable being in person um, and online at pursuecommunity.church or our YouTube channel or our Facebook channel. If you are uncomfortable being in person yet, we'll still be there for you and we'll be live on those platforms. So hope to see you for week two of Galatians. Thanks.